Welcome everyone to the 34th episode of the New Gen Mindset Podcast. I'm Dan Kozell here with Nick Tartaglia. What up, man? What's up, bro? It's uh, <laughs> I guess uh, we can say that we've had another very interesting week on our hands, financially think- speaking, of course. Pretty much an understatement at this point. Right? <laughs> Honestly, at this point, we need to. It, it's become the model of our. It's a weekly model. It's just at this point, you you, can, you can't expect anything else other than just surprise and after surprise after surprise. You just when you think that okay, you've pushed your limits, you find a new way to push the boundaries, which you know it kind of correlates with the market hype, FOMO, mania. It's just it it just has to fuel this momentum right now. It's just, I don't want to be a, a cranky, you know, mofo here, but um, it's just stupid right now. <laughs> if there was one word to define what's going on, it's stupid. I mean, look, we're, we're both, I, I'm making money in the market. You're probably, you're making money in the market too. I'm trading gold right now. That. So like, just to give a thesis right now, like I have not touched equities in a couple months because I've. I can't stop thinking other than just it's insane. Like you're saying, I, you know, we got in at the dip, the first, first dip. We got in again at the second significant dip right before Apple also announced their, their split that drove another hype. Uh, after that, you know, markets have not really been touched. And then it just, I went down more the thesis of gold and precious metals uh, equities, man. I, 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 unless I see at least a 15, 20% dip from this point, I, I, I won't even consider entering a trance into the market other than really infrastructure. And I'm only going to focus on infrastructure because everything else is just too sensitive to uh, an over-leveraged economy. So um, it's ridiculous. So, so uh, and I, I, I agree with you. I mean, I do have some equities in my portfolio. Yes, but, yes, uh, yes, of course. I, I'm, I'm just not I'm, adding. I'm just not adding, you know what I mean? It, it, exactly. It's probably not a good time to be adding to nope. your portfolio right now um, because the market is frothy. <laughs> I think that's a given. Um, and the IPOs. 2020 has been the year of the IPOs. We have not hey. seen, I think there's 19 or 20. 20. Just 20. And then this past week, we had DoorDash and Airbnb yes. with like the stupidest valuations I think we've ever seen. But yeah, I have a list right here. The, the 10 biggest IPOs of 2020. So from Yahoo Finance, this was done on the 11th of December. We have Royalty Pharma PLC. We have DoorDash. We have Rocket Cause. We have Dunn and Bradstreet. We have Snowflake. We have Pershing Square, Tontine. We have BlackRock Capital Allocation Trust. Warner SPACs. Music. Sorry. Those are SPACs. Those are SPACs. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Warner, Warner Music Group, Airbnb, and Churchill Capital 4, another SPAC. <laughs> I mean, it's just. Those are the 10 I'm, biggest. Yeah. I'm looking at the valuations here and. Um, I'm looking at the two big ones, and they were this past week. Airbnb, There's also Zoom Info, Nicola, Vroom. There's so many. <laughs> yeah, but Zoom, uh, Airbnb valued at $3.5 billion, went to public markets at $86 billion. Mm-hmm. That means that they are worth more than every single major hotel that's listed on the market. And then you have DoorDash, which... Two, we got to give them credit though, because they have been the dominant leader in market share for, you know, mobile food delivery, whatever that space yeah. is called. But they haven't um, found a way to make money. It's not that they're working towards uh, 
positive EBITDA or or positive earnings per share or to positive cash flow. It's not that they're not trying to get there, just that they've not yet found a way to get there. So all of a sudden, they hear they are coming on the public market. It's funny because I was watching the Peter Schiff show. He was talking about how the Fed is fueling this IPO, which makes sense. They just funneled the market with so much liquidity. People are going to borrow. People are over leveraging. People can now remortgage their house to invest in the stock market. So in reality, we don't even know how much of this bubble of 2020 is fueled by over leveraging more debt. So that's a whole other factor. But Back in the day, the whole purpose of an IPO was when smaller firms, like when Microsoft or Apple, when they because they couldn't get private or they couldn't get access to extra capital. So what they did is they went to the public market by doing an initial public offering in order to raise money in order to expand the business in the direction they want to. Here I am seeing companies that are making no money or losing money. And here they are going public, getting shareholder money from the retailers that are just basically subsidizing their losses or to provide returns for the underwriters. It's it's like the only people really making money are the management, the, the owners, and the underwriters. Retail investors are buying evaluations that make zero sense on a business that might never ever even make any money. So even if they mature, how the hell are they going to pay you anything unless you sell your stock? And at that point, these underwriters could just take their money because, well, they made their money just by going public. I, I think that that presents itself with uh, an interesting conundrum with uh, retail investors, right? This has been the biggest uh, market for retail investors that I think we've ever seen. Um, and this goes back to even 1999 when there was a tech bubble. Um, now mm-hmm. we're at a position where everyone has a laptop who's sitting at home. There's no there's not a lot of sports on. So what do they do? They take their money and they're getting a stimulus check or whatever it is, or they're, you know, they're throwing it into this market without actually understanding what moves this thing. So what's pretty much happened is it's created this inflationary Mm -hmm. scenario for asset prices across every single asset class. And I think, like you said before, um, this is a very, very good time to look at risk off assets because when the sell off does happen mm-hmm. and it is going to be extremely violent, I don't know when it's going to happen, but it will happen. Um, people are going to be left with their pants hanging on their on, on the ground. It's not going to be pretty because in, the ones who do get hurt the most are always the retail people. Exactly. And it's always the smart money that kind of pulls the plug because they obviously have the assets. They start they the have... trend. You know, they start the trends. Retailers yeah. are always the ones to follow afterwards, and they tend to get in in middle or end of the trend, and that's where you have your highest risk factor. You know, and I I, I want to read some more stats here because this is insane. Um, since the S and P bottomed in March, um, you would have seen a return of seventy four percent almost. I mean, that is unheard of. And to me, when I see that, I'm just like, okay, that's fantastic if you bought it and you held it. But at the same time, it's like, okay, now what are we looking at? We got to look at earnings 12 months from now. We got to look at the profitability. Where is the economy going to be in 12 months from now? Nobody knows that question. You know, it's crazy because it's not say on that on the economy component is people don't realize is from a government's perspective, okay, one of the principles of Keynesian economics, which implies that the state knows best is that some of the metrics they use in order to establish an expanding economy is one is the wealth of the asset classes, which clearly we can say is 
not true anymore because we see the impact of Fed and QE and how it inflates that. So we know that their wealth is an artificial component of the overall macro outlook of the economy, which then they use to leverage confidence in their currency. And that's how the United States kind of maintains their power. So we know there's a little issue with that. Then we have the fact that they use GDP, gross domestic product. GDP is heavily correlated to how people consume. So basically, Having a good GDP implies people are spending money. So a heavily consumeristic economy that's over leveraged with a high GDP in their books is a good economic growth situation where the economy is good. Another metric is is employment overall. What do the government could do? They'll print money, create jobs themselves that don't actually add productivity. It'll alleviate unemployment making it appear as though there are more people employed. And then they'll say again, well, look, the economy is okay because people are employed and GDP is high. Those are not real. And the wealth is there. All they did was print money and apply stimulus QE. And now all of a sudden they think that the economy is okay by using three falsely manipulated metrics that are easily manipulated. So it's, it's shaky as hell. Okay. And then you have all that fact that when you look at wall street, if people don't continue to spend the money they're spending, a lot of businesses are going to struggle and collapse because this market is fueled heavily by a consumeristic, materialistic economy. So if people deviate from that, say, well, look, I need to start improving my balance sheet and start saving money. Well, there's going to be a lot of businesses that are going to contract and collapse as a consequence. You're going to have four uh, uh, decreasing PE outlooks. Uh, growth outlook is going to decrease. So, And then it just starts falling on top of each other because then institutions and banks and retail and pension funds are allocated to all these things require this environment that feeds and consumes. So basically the only way for this kind of cycle to maintain itself is if people continue to expand on their debt load. That's the only way for this somewhat to have a a sustainable trajectory is by having a sustainable cash flow of artificial stimulus. Right. And it's almost like it's encouraging people to take on more debt. I mean, we exactly, saw it with more, much. you saw, you saw it with mortgage applications this year. I mm-hmm. mean, they're through the roof, but yeah. um, you know, you look at asset prices and for example, in Montreal, like the, the, the real estate market is that these prices are insane. Yeah. And at some point this is all going to have to come crashing down at exactly. some point. Just correct. It's part of the cycle, but the IPO market this year um, is a perfect example as to total insanity and FOMO. And if you look at a chart, there was an interesting chart. I posted it on my story this week and I got a lot of feedback saying like, this is actually insane. This year alone, if you had invested in pretty much all the IPOs that came out, I think there were 19, you would have made 224% today. If you would have just bought the market, you'd be up 81%. So again, fantastic returns, but at That's what a lucky point one. Is- it's also exactly. lucky. You, you could not but- have expected this. But exactly. But at what point is this sustainable? Mm-hmm. You know? So I, again, this is why we're talking about this today, because I think that, yes, although, you know, the economy seems to be on its way back, we are encouraging the By society. By using manipulated metrics such as GDP. And yeah, because GDP, we, you we, could just borrow money, spend it, and then it raises GDP. Yeah. Which, which it's almost like, it's due for an upgrade in terms of like what type of metric metrics. But again, that would require us to shift the framework that the economic, like see the government applies this Keynesian economics. So because of that, these are metrics that the government believes that it is the 
the puppeteer of the overall economic ecosystem. Therefore, because of that, it needs to, and because of the fact that we use uh, the modern day monetary system, which kind of goes hand in hand with itself, they believe that they can print and artificially create the ecosystem that they want to inflate overall uh, confidence on their fiat currency. And then it just keeps that it's a, it's a con it's, it's an artificial confident kind of ecosystem where the moment someone loses real confidence, it just starts collapsing. Well, that's what it is. Right. And I think you, you, you nailed it perfectly is like the, is the psychology to a point where people are losing confidence. Look at the U S dollar two and a half. Exactly. Yeah. And that's another alarming thing. If you're looking from a technical standpoint as well, but even if you're like just looking at basic macroeconomics when the U S dollar is hitting 90 cents Mm -hmm. versus the Canadian, there's something going on yep. and it's, it's something that to me signals that, okay, there's two things happening. Either people are losing confidence in the fiat system, which I think most people would agree. Uh, and you've got an entire young cohort generation, people our age, people younger than us too, that are buying into Bitcoin again. And the interesting thing about Bitcoin is that the legitimacy of it has really started to pick up. And I think this is the, we're, 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 I think it's we're past rate. the it's a, it's yeah. adoption rate. Yeah. I think we're past the early adopter space. I think we're kind of mm-hmm. getting into that mainstream type of everyone starting to do it because this past week there was a large insurance company that's throwing a hundred million at it. So yeah, I had, a, this, I was, I was for the Bitcoin thing. I was thinking about it. I was like, I find it dangerous that institutions are trying to create financial products out of cryptocurrency because i feel like the that eliminates the whole value of being decentralized and outside of the system because now the system is centralizing the products of those very cryptocurrencies so it like kind of intertwines bitcoin in within its own financial system again so they become hand in hand because then people could borrow money on it so it's like the moment the system collapses, Bitcoin collapses with it. It's no longer decentralized from the banking system, which was one of the main arguments for it. So like because of this FOMO, I think people are going into it too quick without realizing that they might be fueling something that might negatively impact the asset class of Bitcoin and cryptos in general, just as a risk factor. You know, like, again, I believe Bitcoin has its place. But not if it goes down this type of road where it becomes a primary financial product that people can go to banks and institutions to buy, because that's not the point of it. I know. And that, that's that been the, the serious debate with a lot of crypto enthusiasts. It's, it's like, true. where do you draw where, where do you draw the line, right? Because the whole idea was to get rid of centralized authority. And they're right? doing the opposite now, you know? I know. And it's just, it's crazy because this is just human nature just working exactly. to try to make the most money possible. Greed right um, now is kicking in, yeah. and it's that's why that's why we said before, right? Bitcoin was supposed to be, it was supposed to be inversely correlated to the market, but now it seems to be correlated to it. I would say so, for the last three months, yes, but recently it's kind of broken off. Although okay, the market okay, okay. had its first, the market this week had its first down week in four weeks, and Bitcoin mm-hmm. was down too. So your your thesis still is correct. Absolutely. Yeah, that's it. You know, like because like you know, technical analysis. Once you hit your double tap, it's like okay, there's a possibility that the third one may actually hit, occur again. So now we're seeing validation that these things are correlated in movement, which is not what you'd want because then that means that if the market crashes, Bitcoin might net might crash with it. I, I, I would be surprised by the way, if that happened, like if at this point, I, again, I, don't, I, I, I don't even know what to think anymore. <laughs> uh, 
You know, it's funny. I was, I was talking to, uh, I was talking to an insurance broker this past week, you know, and by the way, for those of you listening insurance, I think everybody should get, especially at our age, it's better to she, get it now it, it should be because it is a source. Kid, it, yeah. It is a source of income actually, because within three to five years you break even. And then everything after that, you want to buy out your policy. You get a fat check from that company. So it's pretty, pretty interesting, but he said something really interesting and he goes, he's like, man, he's like, I'm not a crazy investor. Like I've always been a very risk averse type of person, you know, I guess, you know, great guy. That's why he works in insurance. I think cause it's all about managing risk and being risk averse, but he goes, I don't know what to fucking believe anymore. I look at all this information now and I'm just like, I don't even know what's true, you know? So it's like, you have all this economic activity happening on one side on TV. So everybody thinks, oh yes, great times, euphoria. But the reality is we are in the middle of probably the most shit economy uh, situation ever that we'll probably live through our lifetime. And this is like almost, I've been telling people too, I had, you know, a student come on uh, this morning and I told her, I was just like, dude, we're living through like World War II right now. World War Three. Think about it. Just it. Gonna, really? it, it, it. It's just going to appear more comfortable because we'll have Netflix in our phones. Yeah. yeah uh, other than that, it, it, it's not though. I mean, like you're, you're in sweatpants, you're ordering off of Uber Eats all the mm-hmm. time. It's great, but like the reality is, it's just like we need to get back to human interaction. Mm-hmm. Like this it's, is where we're at right now. We're we're at a point where it's just like we need to start interacting with people. It's and crazy it's, when it, you look at when you look at this whole FOMO and mania and this not uh, we don't know what to understand some anymore. It's because the fundamental underlying components of our economy, which like a, a system does not exist without a collaborative ecosystem. A collaborative ecosystem is the primary component, a dynamic or aspect of what a civilization does in, in the terms of economics. You know, that's how we collaborate. That's how we exchange resources. That's how resources flow. Without that, you can't work together. You can't create businesses. You can't be entrepreneurial. You can't have a government. You can't have a military. You can't have anything. So the, the framework of an economy is very, very, very important. And what happened is about in the 40s, right before the, uh, the Second World War, when Nixon decided to go off the gold standard and produce a fiat system that was tied to itself, it was not backed by anything anymore because they took that to borrow from the future to help with the, the, the Second World War to print money and go and so on and so on. Then what happened is after that, in the 60s, I believe, they created a, a framework called the modern day, uh, modern day monetary system which basically fuels the premise of Keynesian and socialism that you can't, which explains why over the last 50 years, North America has become more and more progressively left because you can see it through the economics development. So through the the modern day monetary system, you can just utilize your printing machine as a way to fuel whatever you think. And then as long as you abide by the metrics such as GDP, employment, and so on, and overall wealth of asset classes, you can then create an artificial kind of confidence in your fiat. And that's where they do it. So they can just print, inflate their wealth, do what they need to do and create an artificial confidence in their fiat system. And now we're seeing that this is spiraling out of control. Look at what happened in Japan. Japan's a near zero interest rate. They've been there for 21 years. Europe has been there for a pretty goddamn while too. They have problems in employment. Not as long though, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. not as long, but they've been there for a while. Uh, Japan has been there for a long time. They have employment problems. Europe has been there. They have employment problems. North America is now near zero. 
And there's no way they're raising interest rates because if they do, asset classes are collapsing and people are going to struggle. But if they want to fix the problems long term, we need the short term pain. But then it becomes a political game because that's what politicians do. It's who's going to be the one to say, you know what, let me be the bad guy and actually cause the short term pain so we can actually come out winners. But because politicians don't want to play that game, they want to look good and win votes. Uh, who knows which leader is going to do this? So we go down the spiraling control of, you know, at which point, uh, generate which generation is going to really suffer the consequence of this? Well, it's it's definitely being barred against, you know, the future. You've got so much money being printed right now. It, it just blows my mind. I feel like we're like a broken tape recorder. Did right, you right did you see the uh, did you see the I posted a graph about on uh, the QE printing of the Federal Government uh, Federal Reserve. So basically, in the financial crash of two thousand eight to two thousand and four. 14 over an 80 month span there was about 3.4 trillion of qe okay it took about five years to get to that point yeah in 2020 we did 3.6 trillion dollars of qe in the span of eight months so the (laughs) higher we go up in debt the more money we need to print in because it's exponentially expanding so we need to print that much more money each time so there's a thesis out there in the macro community that you could see you well, global debt is significantly rise, but just to give context to the United States, over the next five years, because of the fact that they keep printing money for all these projects that they want to create, printing money for these businesses, for stimulus, for taxes, for healthcare, progressive Cor- ideas. Don't, don't forget the corruption too, uh, right? Everything, <laughs> bureaucracy, policies, this, that, because they think that whatever, all of that stuff, they think that you could, you could for sure probably see U.S. debt load in the next five years hit something like $40 trillion. It sounds, it sounds, it sounds, it sounds reasonable, but that also eliminates the entire purchasing power of anything. A hundred percent. And that's going to, the U S dollar is going to keep going down. Yeah. And And then guess what? That means things you're exporting, you're, you're exporting more. Sure. But you're getting less revenue out of it. And then things that you're importing are becoming, becoming more and more expensive. And the more the world economy becomes dependent on China. Well, again, it, it then destroys again, the productive purchasing power of the American dollar. So we have a lot of negative trends that are, are, are kind of circulating that, of course, Wall Street won't fuel because if they start fueling this panic, well, guess what? They're going to lose all kinds of money because they lose money if people start saving money and there's higher interest rates because they can't, you know, they, they can't make money off that. Yeah, it, it, it's and this is where understanding exactly the way the system is set up really comes into hand because then you could start doing your own homework and your own investment strategies and just focus on that. What I would say though, is the one thing that I've been amazed about this year though, um, is just the psychology of the, and I don't mean to be disrespectful, but we'll call them the degenerate gambler who has just been like, fuck it. Let me just throw my money into the stock market. And if you look at the last six months, they, they, there was an article published here on like market watch. They said about 80 to 85% of the movements in the stock were caused by retail investors. So I think there's two things happening right now. Um, the first one is we are seeing the largest boom of sort of independent investors that we've ever seen. 
Um, and it's also kind of a double-edged sword because you have something similar to 1999 when people were buying Nortel. It's kind of like Nikola this year, right? Where everyone's mm-hmm. like, oh, it's the next best thing. Turns out With the CEO no is a money, massive fraud. Nothing, no money. Yeah. They have $36,000 of revenue. The stock's a piece of garbage. <laughs> um, you know, but at the who same cares, time- Who cares, right? Because they say fundamentals are dead. So just- yeah. Who cares now? Just do whatever you want to do. It's fairy yeah. dust logic. And, and, and don't get me wrong. I love Dave Portnoy. I think he's just an absolute, okay, too, yeah. absolute beauty. But he made a comment and I was just like, dude, you don't understand what you're talking about. And that is, he's like, well, I'm better than Warren Buffett because my portfolio goes up and Warren Buffett's goes down. And it's just like, well, wait a minute. You've been buying the entire retail hype since day one. You've probably lost this year. Has it been more than year. a year? Exactly. So it's almost like some guys are literally like looking at this as like one year defining their investment career. It's just not well, true. There's something so, that a lot of investors say is goes, you know, easy money is very, is not, is not learning how investing no, is. No. And, and you, you don't cannot use a bull market. And the thing is, you especially in this environment, making money is so easy that it does not mean you know what you're doing because it's not you that's producing your outcome. It's the market and the Fed that's producing your outcome. They're so, doing this. It's not so, you. So, it's not your picking. Exactly. And your you're, 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 you're perfect segue to my second point, which is the fact that people who think that they're making money easily... When shit hits the fan and they have no idea what's going to go on in the stock market, um, they're like, it's creating this psychology that they're better than a lot of other people. It's just not true. You know, I'm not saying this, by the way, to make it sound like, oh, like I'm pissed off that I didn't make, you know, 50 G's or 100 G's in the stock market. No, I have a strategy, but it's a very long term strategy. Exactly. And you that's how people contextualize it. Yeah, you, you, know. you know, yeah. Okay. I'll hit like, you know, a two bagger on a penny stock, which I would never recommend to any of my friends, maybe you, because you understand how <laughs> penny stocks work. But, you know, at the end of the day, it takes one massive fuck up for your ego to get in check. And this is okay. where you got to be disciplined, right? Um, the, the politicians, the market, um, the Fed even, the Fed is doing what it's supposed to be doing, right? But the reality well, is as soon as the Fed stops doing what it's yeah. doing, although this assumes that Biden is the president next year and Janet Yellen is like infinite stimulus. That yes, exactly. Because she believes up. in that whole framework of modern day monetary system and all that. Right. They're, 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 you got to be cautious in this environment. Yeah. You, you, really you it, it, the, the first thing we learn as investing is this, is you're, you're, you're seeking value. You're seeking a return, especially when Great you're segue, by the way, but keep going, you keep know, going. so it's like, value. It, it's like, you're looking at the smart market. It's clearly people are not, are not doing this for value or anything like that. It's, you're just doing this because you're afraid of not making money. Your greed is kicking in. Your FOMO is kicking in. Your mania is kicking in. Your inexperience in the market is kicking in. Your ignorance is kicking in your ego is kicking in and then all of a sudden you're going to say, well, I made 20 grand and I'm a genius. Okay. Well, I, I can probably name you, uh, every, almost uh, plenty of people made money, but there's also a lot of people that lost money like the Airbnb, right? The Airbnb was listing at 87 bucks. I think it went to 160. But the thing is on the open, because the thing is what retail people don't understand is institutions also have a, a, a variable that they take into they take into account that retail people cannot account for is the well, fact because that they, they don't have access to that data at all. The, it's speed and data. Okay, so there's yeah. a reason why a lot of institutions they speed trade. So they require a fast network close to the 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 um, 
the markets where they can trade their shares because the connectivity, the time in which the, they can process the information and and uh, sell or buy is much quicker than the one for a retail. So they can buy at technically a pre-market way quicker than you can at a pre-market or at the open. So if you saw Airbnb, it, it flew to like 165, but the pre-market, as soon as it opened, it was already at like 140. So if you're a retailer, you were buying at 140, not before, not below that. And then the price started coming down. So all the retail people got stuck at a high price. Because when you're trying to buy, you can't buy pre-IPO. You're buying in the moment the, the market opens. And that's where you can get fucked as a retail because you don't have the advantage of being able to use that speed connection that institutions use or having a pre-IPO purchase. So I, it's funny that we're talking about Airbnb and then we're going to talk about value because value stocks have been really on my radar recently because there is a lot of unlocked value that nobody's talking about. But Airbnb, I had two friends call me last week. One of them actually works at Airbnb and they gave them stock, pretty much stock at the IPO price. So as soon as she went public, I was just like, you just made like 20 grand. Congratulations. She's like, really? I'm like, yeah, like you got in the IPO price too. I was just like, wow, good for you. Anyway, that's great if you work at a company, but not everybody is going to have that opportunity. So I had another guy call me and say, how do I get into the Airbnb IPO? I'm like, dude, you can't. And it's probably not a good idea for you to be looking at it right now because as soon as it hit 164, it's just downhill from there yeah. because it's all these retail people who do not understand risk management, who do not understand fundamentals or any type of PE uh, growth earnings or how to value a company that gets screwed because they're buying into the hype of a name. Yeah. A stock is not a brand. A stock is is your best friend or your worst enemy. And you've got to know when to get out and stuff. So I, I told him, I'm like, look, wait for this thing to fucking die down. Wait for it to die down. Because the, you know what's going to happen on the first earnings report? Wall Street <laughs> is going to set the expectation probably so high for it. They're going to miss earnings. And if I'm wrong, I'll be first to admit it. But I've seen this before course, where the, they miss the earnings and the stock tanks like another 25%. But because there's so much retail demand in the stock and because the institutions are not stupid, like they have the resources to see this, all those retail investors are getting fucked. And you don't want to be that retail investor. And he told me, he's like, are you buying at these levels? I'm like, absolutely not. There's, There's no too much way downside risk. There's exactly. too much downside. It's like Elon said there. In the short there, term. He, in the he short wrote, term. Well, even, in, even potentially in the long term, because in the long term, if, if this, like, let's say the economy really gives out and the, the US dollar continues to fall and, well, people lose confidence, you could see a collapse. Let's say that all the debt load gets triggered. You could see stagnation. Like, look, Japan stock market peaked in 1989. Japan's stock market hasn't retest highs in 31 years. And they're at zero interest rate. They in 1989 they had a bubble, uh, a bubble, a real estate bubble, and they had a stock market bubble. Where do you think North America is right now? The we're, exact we're, we're same position. We're following that cycle. Exactly. We're following that cycle. So you could easily stagnate because the only way you want the only way companies for them to grow traditionally was for them to produce real growth and you need an expanding organic, and growing organic growth, growth. Organic growth now yeah. all of a sudden people are just saying well the price is going it's pure price action now so it's not about fundamentals it's just oh the price is going up because of people are buying so i'm gonna buy but guess what that yield that's gonna just yield a terrible outcome elon even said it himself uh, last week to uh, to a letter to his employees he said if we do not maintain perfection from here on out we could pop 
like a chocolate souffle. Because he, he realized, he remember, he even said at $800 a stock, we are too expensive. <laughs> so we're, you, people are just buying for the sake of buying. It's, it's pure psychology. It's not fundamentals anymore. And when it's pure psychology, the things are like, look at people. When people behave purely through feelings and emotion, they be, they're, they're, they're at their most chaotic. Look at couples, look at relationships, look at everything, look at friends, look at the system, look at politics, look at ideologies, look at religion, you name it. When people incorporate feelings and emotion, things get very, very chaotic. Look uh, at the economy. Frothy. I would just say frothy because this yeah, is it's just what... too much downside risk with these names. There's just too much. I would rather be risk off, have a little bit of money running long. If the market comes down, I'm, I'm flexible and adaptable to whatever my downside risk is. So I can just enter. It, too, too many people are over leveraging or going too heavy on names that just don't make sense. Who knows you're going to even grow over the next 10 years. They could just stay flat. Did you see the story of the oligarchy guy uh, from uh, Russia? So there's this no. Russian kid. So there's this Russian kid, the son of an oligarch in Russia. He goes during yeah. university. He was in court during university. He lost $50 million trading on the stock market. Lost 50 million. Yeah. So, just, so I mean, he has, but my point is simply that no, my point no, was simply no is that, that what's your point? I'm just trying to fit it. Finish my your point sentence. is just simply <laughs> that you have a lot of retailers now than ever before. You have, you have new millennials with a lot of money that are trying Gen, to trade. Gen Z is also. And yeah, exactly. And then you have people that don't know what they're doing and you can see it in the fact that they're losing money. This guy lost $50 million. People always say, but if I have money, I can make more money. <laughs> well, clearly this guy's an oligarch. He's part of an oligarch family. He lost $50 million. He has no idea what the hell he's doing. Um, I'm looking right now at value plays, mm. value stocks, because there, I, I don't think we've ever seen such a discrepancy in terms of valuations, like the spread between growth stocks and value stocks um, in the S&P 500 has never been this wide. And this is a good segue into where should we be looking to invest, right? Now, value stocks are not the most attractive names. They're not the Teslas. They're not the Googles of the world, right? They're really stocks that you kind of just look at and you're like, okay, like, why would I ever own this? But the reality is these are companies that have really cemented um, their cash flows. They have strong fundamentals. They pay dividends. Um, and you don't necessarily buy value stocks for the growth. You buy them for the yield. Um, and you know what? I'm actually okay with looking like investing in value stocks right now that have good fundamentals going into next year, who have not cut their dividends, who have looked at their dividends and say, okay, we're going to increase it because we have more cash now. Because what this does is this actually gives your portfolio income, right? You're getting a distribution. And so, it could buy itself back. You can automate your, in, in North America, you can automate your investments accounts to, to automatically repurchase shares. So like if your money is in an TFSA or an RSP and you're collecting dividends, well, guess what? You can have it automate that it re automatically repurchases more shares for you. So it just, it grows and grows and grows. And 20 years down the line, you're collecting a nice income stream from this. That's why when people say value investing is dead, I tell them it's just because you don't understand the concept exactly. of value. And you exactly. also don't realize that there's more than one asset class in this world. Value investing is about seeking where there is value. Most equities are extremely overflated, but within that ecosystem, there are certain equities that are still of value. And then you can also look at other, like now there's people looking at, um, 
other forms of uh, substitute forms of investing. They're looking at now wine, rum. They're looking at Bitcoin, gold, silver. Uh, they're looking at hard objects now because people are abusing. In economics, there's a law that's called the law of scarcity. When there's too many things or it becomes abused, it loses all value. Look at the stock market. It has been abused and just inflated. There's just it just destroys the, the value of seeking something tangible or good in there. And there are some cases, there's still some that exist, but there are things that have been above, above and beyond abused. Again, val and I, I agree with you on that, but I think, again, value stocks right now are very attractive. Yeah. I think this has never been a better time to look at value stocks right now that pay a good dividend. Uh, so the people are, generation is not patient for that. That's why. I, I you know. know. I know. It's, it's, you, they I'm won't see the... the they won't see the returns right away. I know. And that's the psychology, like you said, that, that most investors just, or most people that think they're investors just don't understand. When you look at a company like Enbridge, for example, okay. Enbridge is a, they're, they're based in Canada. Okay. They have an 8% yield. Yeah. It's an infrastructure you know? guys. So just to give a context in economics, because that's a great one infrastructure. It's, the fact that when there's an economic contraction, what people still need to spend their money on is energy. You still need it. So the energy ones transportation, by the way, no, no, but the infrastructure. Exactly. Oh, so part yeah. of the infrastructure yes, is yes. when there's an economic contraction or collapse, it, it, normally how it works is that there's two, three tiers to the economy. You have the primary, the secondary, and the tertiary. The tertiary, tertiary is where you have like services, uh, restaurants, uh, uh, entertainment, pleasure, leisure, luxury, and all that stuff. Second Discre is like, Discretionary dollars. Yeah. So in, in a contraction environment, economically, that's where all the extra money gets spent. Those things collapse first. The primary and the secondary are necessity components of a healthy and sustainable ecosystem. Where the third one, which is where a lot of people are, especially millennials and Gen Z, a lot of them are in that third one, that, that comes collapsing because... It, it's not what people need anymore. People need food. They need uh, shelter. They need clothes. They need energy. They need their phone. They need internet. Those are the things that people will still pay money for. The rest of it will suffer the consequence of an economic contraction. So there, and now there lays your value. Yeah. And I think that's where there's a lot of potential. I think value stocks next year might actually outperform a lot of the growth stocks. Um, just because of the way this year has gone. Another one too is uh, the small cap space. Mm -hmm. Micro caps yeah. last week, for whatever reason, just blew like they just yeah. flew off. There was that stock and, there. There's a there's a there's a pharmaceutical stock that did a thousand hundred percent in a day. Yeah, um, <laughs> G GMTHL, I think, or yeah, so like that. Too. It went from a SLS. They they, they basically had a lung cancer treatment. Yeah. I had a buddy text me the morning of. I looked at it. I was just like, wait. What? It's up a thousand percent. It's people, you know, people are, especially pharma stocks now because of all this, people are, uh, pharma stocks are really hyped up too, but they don't realize that even though something passes, it could take 10 years before you really try seeing real money. So you're going to hold 10 years. I hope you hold 10 years then. Again, it depends on what your strategy exactly. is. Exactly. Right? But, but, but again, I think going into next year, look at value stocks. There's good dividends out there. 7% mm -hmm. yield, 8% yield. That, that was one of my you. primary, uh, shopping sprees when the biggest dip when they hard dip that was one of my biggest shopping spree was look for communication energy um transportation logistics those were my primary focuses because first off those dividends are 
are when they when, see the thing is when you look at for good companies that provide good solid cash flow and they rarely decrease their dividend payout when the stock collapses the yield goes up so if you're buying sure. at a significant dip you buy a nice yield there was a in march low most of the purchases we made we were averaging 8 to 12% dividend yields on purchases i was uh, i picked up a reit at um the it was trading at like 250 three bucks the yield on that was like 10 percent. yeah and exactly not only did i get capital appreciation on it i also got a 10 10 9 percent yield on yeah. it which and your crazy. yield is maintained though you're technically still making 10 percent on your initial investment it's it's pretty remarkable honestly like these are the kind of stocks that nobody's talking about no, and you can actually not. make you know you, you you can make i mean this one here made like a hundred hundred percent and it pays a yield. It's a small cap REIT. Um, but it's just like, no, the ones that nobody talks about usually are the ones that make the most money sometimes. And you don't realize it because there's something called compound interest that just compounds the longer you hold it. Mm-hmm. So you just got to keep holding it as well. These, these uh, guys. Yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just going to say like, this is the part of investing that, you know, the Robin hood people or the stock twits, you know, maniacs they just don't want to look at it because they're just looking for the next 10 bagger and the reality is when you're just looking and seeking for the next 10 bagger and not doing any research it's like you're you're gambling at that point i know that's not how you and i invest but Mm -hmm. i think going into next year value stocks are going to be something that most people need to take a look at Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of them there's a lot of good value out there right now i'm like i I got my shopping list done like uh for for some of these stocks like this past week too man i find there's a lot of people don't contextualize time so because they see that because they see that a lot of people are at least it appears that a lot of people are making money and there's this huge mania going on the stock market to them the risk reward is well, if I could, I'm missing out on all this potential money, so I'd rather just go do these things. They're very short term driven, they're not contextualizing the value of good fundamental whole positions in a long term portfolio that makes you sustainable, that allows you to preserve your capital, that produces income. That, that you're invested in a real business, not just because of hype, but because it's a real freaking business like Nikola. People were just buying it because to, to buy it and hopefully make money. But guys, they're making no money and they're valued at 20, whatever, a couple of multitudes of billions of dollars when they only brought in $35,000 in income. Like guys, you, 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 being an investor is about seeking value. It's not about hoping it happens. It's not about forcing it. It's about just being patient and looking for where to allocate your capital. It shouldn't matter where the resource is. If for the next 20 years, you know for a fact that wine will no longer exist, that means there's going to be huge uh, uh, supply shortage. Guess what? Price of wine is going to skyrocket. What do people do? You buy wine. But that's why there's a huge thesis for wine as a collectible and gold and all these things. Well, gold has another macro component, but you know, it's just that people need to seek other things sometimes you don't always you can wait an entire year if you have to especially as a millennial you you, you, we're not old like you 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 can be patient build your cash reserve look for strategic allocations wait for a significant market crash and then go buy things like apple and microsoft that dip because when the market comes down most things will come down with it especially the over leveraged especially the high pe's uh, especially the no dividends like these companies are going to come collapsing down and don't get me wrong. Like, I also think that, um, you know, making a bagger is great. 
Yeah, hundred percent. It's a, it's a, it's a great feeling because when you let that winner ride, you're like, okay, I'm making money. But the key when that happens is to not get too excited, because mm-hmm. you could literally, you could literally, when 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 a stock is making a bagger within a day or a week or whatever it is, it's probably high risk, mm-hmm. right? So you got it. You got to understand that too. Most people like that. That's the most important thing. Um, let's wrap this up with like what sectors we want to pay attention to next year, mm-hmm. because I think that's going to be a really term, big. Yeah. Yeah. Very long-term here. Um, I made a video back in, and I've said this, I think multiple times, I made a video back in uh, January of this year. And I said that in 2020, between 2020 and 2030, the number one sector that is due for a massive disruption is education. Mm-hmm. And I think we're at a point now where we're starting to realize as consumers or as individuals that, and I'm going to use Harvard as an example versus a platform like Udemy or even YouTube or whatever it is that is out there. Harvard is becoming a $50,000 a year streaming service. Just think about that. Why would, why the hell would I pay 50 grand for an Ivy league? Assuming I get into that Ivy league when I can go and learn the exact same thing for much less, (laughs) actually make more money as a result of that. Mm -hmm. So I think consumers now, especially young millennials and Gen Z's, they're going to start realizing like, I don't need to go to school. So I think we're going to see some education companies just go public Uh, and just surprise the shit out of people and be like, whoa, I should have been in this. Another one too, and I think they will go public, is OnlyFans. (laughs) (laughs) Which is at this point, I'm not surprised. So I, I, I I kind of agree with you. You know, like it, it seems like a streaming platform for, you know, obviously there's a lot of sexual content on there, mm-hmm. but it is a platform for celebrities and stuff to like and connect women, on a personal level, you know, and like you can make money on that platform if you're smart about it. But that, that is a billion dollar business mm-hmm. right there. And why wouldn't they think about it as a business now? All you have to do is list your IPO with this hype and you become a billionaire overnight. It, it's, it's just fueling this. So like as a business, I'm, there's going to be a lot of greedy people that are going to seek the IPOs because they're just going to want to attain billionaire status from the IPO listings. Which is, I guess, just part of life too. But um, I don't think we'll see 20 IPOs next year. There's no way. Uh, I, I don't mean, think we so. could. Because look, look at the trend. Like right here, it says right here, you go. So on the Yahoo thing, it says, um, so still any reading drawing comparison to the tech bubble is sure to cause a bit of nervousness, especially considering... 2020's tally adds up to nearly the 27 IPOs that achieved doubles on day one from 2000 to 2019. So over a span of 19 years, there were 27 IPOs that doubled. We've, we're getting there in not even a year. Like less than 24 hours, basically. You know what I'm saying? So it's yeah. like, again, this could be a new trend. It's just like, it's like the peak of a pyramid, right? The higher you go, the steeper it gets until yeah, eventually yeah. it free falls. So yeah. you could see like because of the Fed QE and stimulus over the next two, three years, that will for sure continue, especially with the Biden win, there'll be more of it. I think that you could potentially see a continued stretch of the peak over a couple of two to three years, I'd say to really push it. And then from there, you could really see a downfall, a souffle effect, a free fall effect, just because liquidity dries out. That right now, the primary variable of the market is the liquidity. As long as there's going to be stimulus liquidity, the market can still push new highs because there's capital to do it and they can, can still borrow off of it. But once that's gone, 
or they've abused it too high because now the US dollar is really impacting the balance sheets of businesses and the overall ecosystem. Well, then that will trigger it. Eventually, something's going to trigger it. It's just that there's, it's just which variable is going to kick in first to really start that domino effect. And again, it's, it's, this is just something we got to pay attention to. Yeah. And that's um, why I agree with the value investing because value investing minimize your downside risk. And the, when those goes down, as long good as companies, you can, good companies, strong exactly. balance sheets too, right? Exactly. It, it honestly, anything like that, if you focus on fundamental core stuff right now, you will minimize your downside risk. It's 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 a risk reward situation right now. It's about preservation. It's not about being greedy. If you want to be greedy, you're not you're not being an investor. You're being a gambler. You're just you're, you're being psycho psychological. You're not being a, an investor. You know. So, I, you know, like we learned our lessons, man. I I remember my I remember the first boom of uh, marijuana. <laughs> if I had taken my ACB profits right off the bat when it first hit the top top, because again, I had not been able to contextualize overall values. We also didn't understand what risk was back then. Yeah, exactly. So like my comprehension of risk wasn't very well built yet. And I wasn't able to contextualize long-term market and value appreciation, you know? So I just thought that, oh, okay, because it's this high, it should just continue this high, but there, there's still the forces that could push it downwards. I just didn't see my downside. So I was up, I think this was my first year. I was up almost $120,000 off of one stock. I did not take it because I thought this was could push more. I had to accept a $75,000 profit instead of a, and that was, a, and I took that profit maybe about half a year later instead, when I could have secured about 50,000 more half a year earlier. That boom. Was your first, but that was your, that was your first lesson in green. That was my first <laughs> lesson, a real lesson, you know, and it, that told powerful, me like man. you, I have to contextualize value, especially on a longer time frame, because I wasn't able to establish a downside risk. So I didn't get to secure my capital as well. Yeah. Because I didn't and, time it properly. And that's where stop losses become very important. Yeah. A hundred percent. One, one other thing too, it was just, it, it really just crossed my mind right now was another, another sector, I think next year or another sort of asset class, we'll call it the SPACs have been very popular. Mm -hmm. this year. Um, Jay-Z did a SPAC, uh, you know, DraftKings is a SPAC. There's a lot of SPACs that are happening, which is essentially a cheaper way to do an IPO because you're just getting acquired by a company and then they go public as a result mm -hmm. of that. There was one company last week. Um, founders are all from Montreal, by the way. Um, very, very intelligent group of gentlemen. They're in their like late forties, early fifties. And I kind of looked at the press release and I was just like, wow, that is what time, dedication, and commitment looks like. The company has been around for well over 12 years, maybe more. And um, the amount of progress that they've done, and I'm sure most people, if you're listening, um, the company's called Paysafe. And I'd love to get the founders of that company on here because that'll kind of, you know, I'm sure they have a lot of insights that most people just don't. Um, but the one thing that I realized is that stuff like that takes time to build. And then they got acquired by, uh, Foley acquisitions. I forget what the middle name of, of that, of that company was the ticker on that one is BFT. And for those of you that don't know who Bill Foley is, um, Bill Foley is a very successful billionaire entrepreneur who owns the Vegas Golden Knights NHL hockey team. Mm. Um, and the company or the SPAC was called Foley Trazamine Acquisition Corp, BFT, 
on the New York Stock Exchange. They did a $9 billion acquisition for Paysafe. And I was just thinking to myself, I'm like, holy crap, this is incredible. This stuff that takes time for a guy who's probably in his like late 70s, maybe mid 70s, and he's still going, you know? So to me, it's just like, dude, whatever happens to you like now in your investment career, you know, is not going to define you. The question is, do you have a long-term plan and are you consistent enough? And are you willing to put the time in to make the suffering that much more reward, more rewarding when your time does come, mm. right? I think everybody's got a different path with that. But anyway, congratulations to those guys, um, the PaySafe guys. That is incredible. Um, check those guys out. Um, again, the ticker for Foley Trasamine acquisition is BFT. The stock was up 20% when the news came out. I bought a little bit and I was just like, <laughs> wow. You know, I have to take a little piece of that. It wasn't much, but um, the point I'm trying to make is stuff takes time. Mm -hmm. And what Nick, I think you talked about it too, was just the cycle, right? Japan yeah. had its cycle in the peak. North America is it's at that cycle now. in the peak. You got to pay attention to this. You can't go into the market investing blindly like, like, and just say, oh, okay. You know, if it makes money, great, sell it and move on. But if you're looking at a good company, I think, you know, don't sell all your all your chips, you know? So you do, it's it, contextualization, you know, it's, it's just reading and learning and watching things. If you're going to play this game, if people want to choose to be their own investors, nobody's saying no. It's just be a little wise because in five, 10 years from now, if the economy really does negatively the way things do, if you're over leveraged with your house, if you're over leveraged or remortgaged because of the stock market and you're too into like tech and bubblish asset classes, what happens if you just lost everything? And then you have to it, sell because you have to repay your debts. It, You're back I, I to zero. That. Yeah, I, I don't understand how people are doing that. I mean, unless you're, make, unless you're making like north of 350 grand yes, a year. Unless you have a nice cash flow to offset any kind of risk yeah. downside. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but again, how many people are actually making that kind of money? Not many, especially if they're Not. over leveraging themselves. You know, so I, like, I would say about 87%, maybe more of the mortgage population that applied for a mortgage and bought a house this year have given up about 20 to 30 years of their life. It's just 100%. the simple, oppor simple opportunity cost. And you right? can see, guys, if there's a contraction in the economy and we, and we have exactly what happened in Japan... I mean, well, those, guys, those people, those people that bought houses, and yeah, exactly. God like forbid, you, are unemployed. You, 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 you didn't really see, you have, you probably never haven't really seen any real wealth appreciation at all. So it's like that could happen to you here too. That's why being flexible and malleable to whatever comes forth, moving forward in the economy has to be taken care, taken with a grain of salt and has to be contextualized with the other data. Like you, you have to, correlate things and find causalities and understand, okay, risk and reward. If I'm going too aggressive here, what happens if things fall out in two, three years? Do I need my capital? Like start asking you these very sensitive and important questions, because if you don't start establishing your parameters to your wealth and to your risk, you're going to see a lot of pain going forward because the economy is not what it is. It's just being fueled through the Fed and the QE. If you guys understood that variable alone, you would see why we're afraid of what's going on. Because I, I, you I don't want to say I don't want to say afraid though. I think it's okay, more fair. just being aware and just cautious. Well, I say afraid right? in the sense that like 
a lot of people are not aware. So I say afraid in the sense of a collective, oh, is a yeah. collective type of thing. You know, Fair I'm afraid enough. that there's, because there's going to be people that are going to suffer the consequence because they're going to get blindsided. There's going to be pension funds that are going to get blindsided. There's going to be so old people get blindsided. You know, so it's like, I'm more afraid for them as an, as a personal individual, I'm getting to experience things that I, I don't think I would have ever gotten to really observe or experience in my lifetime, at least not that I thought of. And all of a sudden, 2020 has become one of the greatest learning moments of my entire lifetime. Agreed. So for me, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely grateful for this in an educational perspective. And it's just going to make me a smarter investor moving forward because now I'll be able to be more cautious and more and understand risk better and understand macro factors more. So for me, I'm not afraid. I just have to be more cautious moving forward. But for others, yes, you know, there's fear because then it's like family and friends and parents of my friends. And it's like, but who's going to get caught red? Who's going to get caught with their pants down? Well, that's why having multiple streams of income should be on everyone's. Exactly. Hedge, 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 hedge. Should be on everyone's to-do list for next Mm -hmm. year. Um, I know it's on mine. I'm working on a third one. I know you have two that you you've got, you know, so we just got to keep building and that stuff takes time. Mm. You know, we're not, we're not celebrities. We're not average. We're, we're, we're just, you know, regular, regular, regular dudes who just want to crush it and give back to our communities. I think that's Mm -hmm. fair to say, you know, so there's no greed for us. Like us talking about these things, there's no way for us to make money. So it's like, this is just a way for us to learn, to connect, to talk with people. <laughs> not, <know>. not yet. <laughs> <laughs> not yet. <laughs> but, 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 it, but it was never, it was never like a primary, it's never been a primary objective for us to like. Exactly. Of, because you know? networking, you know, like, like a lot it. of people, you know, they say is there's a power in having a network. There's a power in building your brand by getting to talk to people that alone builds your expertise. You know, if I didn't get to talk to people, I get to have these conversations with you on a de- weekly basis. You know, like I wouldn't be able to criticize and challenge my thoughts, my ideologies, the way I think and analyze things, have people question me or, you know, it puts pressure on you because you have to make sure that you know what you're talking about or stay on top of current events. There's people just need to be a little more open in the way they take in data and the way they put themselves out into the ecosystem. Uh, Balance. Things. Yeah, I think again, just you got to just focus on what's happening because it's there, and just to know what to look for too. You know, it helps. Exactly. Exactly. So anyway, guys, thanks so much for listening. I know Nick and I have been going off for well over an hour now, but I think it's also just important to really reflect on what really happened this year uh, and start planning for next year. It is December thirteenth, two thousand and twenty today. Um, that means that you should be planning for next year. Um, I know I have, I know you have been too. And, um, I think next year, I mean, if you don't have, here's another thing, we'll, we'll, we'll make an episode about this, uh, soon. Uh, but you need multiple flows of income. Mm. It's not even a luxury anymore. It's like mandatory. Yeah. hundred percent because of inflation, that, inflation it, puts it, that, and that that's, and that, and that's the situation. So thanks politicians for putting us in a position where we got to work a little bit harder to get to where we're at, but listen, stuff takes time. And if you've got goals and you're committed, you'll get there. Yeah. I'm not worried about that. So anyway, guys, thanks for listening. Uh, sign up to our newsletter, newgenmindset.com, And um, we will be back next week. Ciao guys.